You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Howdy, dream cowboys. Welcome back to the sixth episode of the Fan Driven Westworld Recap Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Westworld Season 1, Episode 6, The Adversary, directed by Fred Toy and written by Haley Gross and Jonathan Nolan. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. The Adversary. At first I was wondering, well, is that going to have something to do with Logan and William, because they're getting kind of adversarial, but they didn't even show up in this episode. No, we didn't get Logan, we didn't get Will, we didn't get any Dolores, which was a little refreshing uh, and simultaneously frustrating. They have one of the most interesting plot lines in the show. You want to see what's happening there. But we literally couldn't see them this episode, because so many other things happened. Red Ted Redemption has begun. Teddy is back, baby. Uh, and he didn't even die this episode. The hosts took a real backseat, and this is all corporate intrigue and office politics. Yeah, if you have an episode where Dr. Robert Ford is actually populating half of it, it's hard to see any Dolores, especially when Bernard is off on a side quest. You know, <laughs> we'll get into it. We should mention that this episode was directed by Fred Toy. Is that right? Toy? 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 It's the word toy with an E at the end, so sure. He's a veteran TV director. He directed a lot of episodes of Person of Interest, The Good Wife, and Fringe, which are three shows I've never seen. Yeah, he also directed some Lost. He directed Revolution, some episodes of Revolution, which I always also enjoyed was a season long, and uh, directed some episodes of Alias. Basically, he's been Jonathan Nolan's friend for a little while. Yeah, if you worked on Person of Interest, you get to work on Westworld also. Yeah, they're all in the they're in a club. They read books together and sometimes direct for each other. The episode begins with Maeve waking up, much in the same way that Dolores would wake up in previous episodes. She gets dressed, walks to the saloon. She is pretty oblivious to the chaos happening in Sweetwater around her. She talks with Clementine about some newcomers entering the saloon. So right when she wakes up, it you like you just said, it was exactly like Dolores waking up. Basically the first three episodes, we got the same thing happening right at the beginning of the episode, which is Dolores waking up looking more evil over time. We now get that for Maeve, I guess insinuating that, you know... She's getting closer and closer to how messed up Dolores is. Because I think something important to keep track of is Dolores has an extra day or so on Maeve on the sentience bandwagon. 
you know, closer and closer to the center of the maze, which, you know, Maeve isn't even worrying about right now. That's not even her quest. Her quest is knowing everything and, and being the best she can be. While Dolores is uh, on some existential thing that she's being yelled at by Arnold or somebody. So Maeve is like a day behind Dolores, but she's getting there. She looks in the mirror, doesn't know what's going on. Goes on her normal loop. Someone gets shot behind her. She doesn't even care. Walks into the bar. Everything is normal. Radiohead, fake plastic trees is playing on the player piano. There was a, a two Radiohead songs in this episode. Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, comes down the stairs as usual. Normal loop. They're talking all about the newcomers, although Maeve, I guess, <laughs> has a different view on the newcomers now after all the new knowledge that she has. Maeve takes one of the newcomers to bed and then provokes him into awkward, angry sex, and he murders her. She baits the murdering out of him. She basically just wants to go back to Felix. And we just learned that Felix the and the other uh, technician who's part of Maeve's storyline are named Felix and Sylvester, which give a kind of a kind of a cartoon backbone, and it feels like a, a metaphor for what's actually happening. Yeah, those aren't real people's names. Those, those are the names of cartoon animals. Who like to chase each other around and try to murder each other. After being murdered, Maeve wakes up down in the lab with Felix again. Again, scaring the shit out of him. Bernard and Elsie talk about the planted transmitter which they found in the stray. Bernard claims that he can access the hidden data from the stray's outdated memory banks, which he calls legacy data, by entering the lower levels of the lab where the computer technology is more compatible with the old format of the robots. And he says that this will allow him to determine the stray's location when he transmitted the data to whatever satellite he linked up with in the sky. During this conversation, they drop another hint for the Bernie is a host thing, where they said... For the first time in this episode, because I think it happens twice, they mention, like, you know, Bernie's been here forever. Bernard has always kind of been here. Like, you know, everyone doesn't really even remember the first day Bernie was here. Because, you know, Ford turned him on that day. Is what the, They're trying to drop ambiguous clues to that, that at the end, if he is or isn't a host, we'll be like, ooh, interesting. Um, I think we'll be ooh, interesting. I hope we'll be ooh, interesting. And then he goes downstairs floor b82 uh, apparently they haven't cleaned down there in a while because everything is really messed up down there it looks like something bad happened there um him going downstairs was kind of a for me a little bit of a lame sequence it felt like he was going into the bat cave and then it just ended up being like a weird floor they don't go on to anymore bernard is authorized to go down there that they have a whole sequence where the elevator's like are you sure and bernard's like i'm cool everything's fine and then when we go downstairs, two things popped up to me immediately. One was we see the old West uh, World logo again, which just fodder for the two timelines theory. And a little Easter egg happens, James. The 1970s version of the gunslinger. It was amazing. I was so psyched. Yeah, Bernie's walking, and Yul Brenner is just standing behind him, blurry. I don't think you're supposed to read a lot into it. I just think it was supposed to be a little fun for people who know the old movie. And it was really, it was just nice, because Bernie is on this weird mission, and uh, 
Elsie and him had just talked about why he was doing it, but you're like, you kind of don't understand exactly why he needs to be down there to get all this information when the internet exists. And and then you're in the middle of that trying to figure that out, and you're like, oh, look at that. It's Yule. If you haven't already, I think it's definitely worth watching the old movie. Maybe before you check out the last four episodes of the show, or maybe before your second run through the show. Or if you're super lazy, or you just love our voices, you could just listen to our recap of the movie. That's true. You don't even have to see it with your eyes. He links up to a computer terminal to access the data, and he discovers that there are hosts in the park which are not registered to their host monitoring system. He finds additional uh okay. He finds additional anomalies, as he says. Uh some hosts that aren't registered are doing some stuff that they're not supposed to be doing, and Bernard's like, "Why?" In the Mexican-style town, Robert Ford is discussing his geographical renovation plans with his construction crew when he suddenly eyes the symbol of the maze carved into a wooden table. Yeah, the guy talking and walking with him is like, if we were to do exactly what you said we what you were wanted to do, we would have to take out this town right here. Dr. Robert Ford uh, sees in the distance the little girl we met earlier, correct? That was uh, Lars's daughter was running around, right? Yep, that's her. And he sees her in the distance and is like, well, we can't take this town down. It has that little girl that's part of that weird quest I have, or Arnold has. It's one of those. Someone's trying to tell someone something, and that little girl has something to do with it. So we can't destroy this town just yet. He walks into the town, and then he looks down at the table... And he sees the maze in the middle of said table etched into it. And from Anthony Hopkins's face, you get the feeling that he's either trying to portray surprise, like he he was he was uh, kind of delighted that's that that is happening either organically or not, probably organically within the the world of the robots they are taking to this maze symbol enough where they're, you know, etching into things. Or fear. I don't know if it was fear or surprise. Where do, you, where do you fall on that? I think this plays into the title of this episode. The adversary is Arnold. The Arnold is Dr. Robert Ford's great adversary. And Dr. Robert Ford's great adversary uh, is a ghost, it seems. It's... Uh, as we're seeing right now, Arnold is no longer alive, but his ghost still haunts Dr. Robert Ford. And you get the feeling that Dr. Robert Ford has a power complex. Obviously, he's just, he is God of his own theme park. There is no version of a power complex more severe than that. And now he's getting surprised. You know, we saw the Titans meet last episode, the man in black and Dr. Robert Ford. And, both of them are old, they've seen everything, and they're both now getting surprises late in their lives that you get a mixture, and while they both are experience it, experiencing it, of fear and a little enjoyment. A little like, ha <laughs> yeah, interesting. Seeing the symbol on the table causes Dr. Robert Ford to return to his office, where he opens up a sketch pad which seems to have old concept art for Westworld, we see what seems to be maybe some drawings of the various Westworld characters, and then 
he flips to one page where he very distinctly finds the symbol of the maze. Yeah, right next to a picture of Dolores. Kind of looks like Arnold's old workbook. Uh, right when we come in, we it's a uh, it's a picture of a chapel, uh, which is still you know chapel matters, I guess. Um, one thing I took away from this is that uh, Doctor Robert Ford's office is so dope. There are so many cool things in his office. Like if out of all the offices I've ever seen. I'm most most jealous of his. I just kind of want it for myself. I'd go to. I'd be happier to go to work if I was in that neat office with all those heads. Teddy and the man in black ride through the desert, and Teddy begins to tell him about the Native American myth of the maze. Yeah, Teddy is a wonder boy now. He has exposition out the yin yang. Uh, he asks a. a um, the man in black asks him what he thinks about the inside of the scalp, and he says it's a native myth, and uh, it's the sum of a man's life, the choices that he makes. The center is a legendary man who has been killed over and over again and clawed back to life. And the last one, is it, the last time he comes back to life, he celebrates by, like, actually dying. And he built a house in the middle of the maze, and the maze is so complicated around it so that people can't get there. Basically, Teddy knows a way more information about this Native American myth and or he is sharing more information than he has previously done. But the man in black asks one question about the maze and Teddy's like, I'm going to tell you all about it moments after you met Dr. Robert Ford. So it was kind of like Dr. Robert Ford met with the man in black, went back to his office. I was like, gosh, I have to give Teddy new things to say. I kind of think he was telling the story of robot Jesus kind of or like Westworld host savior. He kept dying in his loop, and then eventually he achieved transcendence and was able to get his true death. It's an interesting story. I wonder, is it the story of Arnold? Is it the story of a host who previously went through what Maeve and Dolores have went through, and he got true, like, woke status before finally taking his life in his own hands and dying? Yeah, if anything, it's just, it sounds like we're still talking about the ultimate Turing test. You know, the man in black is told by the little uh, little girl, Lars's daughter, that the maze isn't for him, uh, which we inferred to say it is the ultimate Turing test. At the end of it, the robot who makes it to the end has uh, truly gained consciousness through the ability to actually be a mistake, have a mistake happen in their lives that isn't just programmed. It, you know... We're getting to the we're it I feels like the maze is not a season two thing. It feels like it's the end of season one and then it was just the beginning kind of stuff. They come across two host travelers who say the border has been closed down by soldiers because there's been some kind of trouble in pariah. And undaunted they decide to find an alternate route through the border. The man in black tells Teddy that he has to earn his keep. The man in black basically doesn't trust teddy uh to do as much as he thinks he needs to do but teddy doubles down man he needs to find dolores he loves that girl and or is programmed so hard to keep her within her loop and knows she's not in it right now so he will do anything to get to her back in the lab felix and mave discuss the nature of the host's lives so to speak and Felix basically gives away the whole game doing what you and I have been annoyed at William for doing 
he just spells it out. He's like, yeah, you're a robot. You live in the park to entertain guests. We control everything you do and all your thoughts. He's just telling her the whole truth. I don't get it. I don't get what the incentive is on his part to just to tell her everything that is happening in her life. Is it an ultimate God complex that he's saying these things and he doesn't believe that there are consequences because at any given moment he can turn her off? Because if that's true, then why not just do that while not stringing her along and bringing her basically this episode has a few religious tones to it we see the chapel over and over again but Maeve's storyline feels like a baptism and we're gonna feel that a little later when we have a whole sequence that it was right in this moment I felt like you know she's coming into her own in a very religious way she's asking a lot of questions who she believes to be or whoever like kind of is God to her, which is Dr. Robert Ford, but in this moment, it's not. It's Felix. It's the guy standing in front of her asking or answering all the questions, truthfully even. Why are you not lying to her? She wouldn't know what the lie is. Uh, It just, I don't know. It was hard for me to make sense of why it was happening in the first place, let alone that it was happening. I've been getting the feeling that Felix is a bit of a Mary Sue character, He's so easily seduced and overpowered by Maeve's personality, and he'll basically acquiesce to whatever she wants, because he's so timid and she's so domineering. In in Felix's position, I'd be like, hey Maeve, wait right here while I go get my supervisor, and he'll explain this all to you. Right, there are so many outs to this situation. Think about outside the box like it all, Felix. If you put just moments of thought into this, you could just turn her intelligence down in this moment. You have the tablet that does everything. You have the 20-point star that has her entire personality, and cruelty is currently at zero. You want to keep it there, by the way. There are so many versions of this where nothing goes wrong, and Felix is like, let me just do the version of it where everything goes wrong. At first, Maeve doesn't believe him about the hosts and the park. Until he shows her all of her scripted responses and dialogues, which are popping up as she says them, this causes her to become terrified, malfunction, and ultimately crash. Yeah, she 404s. She's not responding. Uh, And we get to see how ingratiated this, her, this, this facade is to her. Because that moment proved to her, without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that she is a robot, but she still is not 100% there. It's going to take a bunch of things that prove to her 100% over and over again to get her to the point where she actually believes the truth. Bernard meets up with Teresa. She tells him that Ford has discovered their romantic relationship, and then she breaks up with him citing a conflict of interest between their two departments, and she's very cold-hearted and unemotional in this scene. I've seen this scene, like, 20 times. The moment she was like, Ford knows about us, I was like, ugh. She's gonna break up with them and be like, I have to, it's my job. Ford knows, it will get complicated, the board. It's not you, it's me. It just felt like... I've seen this scene so many times in so many shows. It's, I, I mean, it makes sense 
Ford knows about them, so they can't just keep doing that. They have to at least, they have to break up. It just makes sense. You know, plus Bernard, you know, might be a robot. Who even knows? Which one of them is a robot? We don't even know. who Who's a robot? <laughs> and Bernard is like, I can be partial. And she's like, nah. <laughs> and then he's like, well, gosh, dang. This, this day, this is, it's been a day for me. Felix panics and attempts to fix Maeve. When she comes back online, she asks him to be brought upstairs. And because she's so seductive and he's totally falling for her, she convinces him to be led around the laboratory and the upper levels. Because of stupid, vague, not very well put together reasons... He's showing her everything and letting this thing happen. So here's this. Okay. So this next scene where Maeve is being taken around and basically given the tour. I had to go. I had to, when I was watching it, I I was thinking my the whole time. I'm going to have to go to the internet to see if this scene is seen as one of the coolest things people have ever seen or lame. Because I didn't know which way everyone was going to land. It is more the former. Everyone, uh, uh, most of the people on the internet were like, this is, was amazing. There was that other Radiohead uh, song in the background. I think it was, um, it was Motion Picture Soundtrack by Radiohead. It was in the background. And I just had a hard time getting into this scene because the backbone of it was flimsy to me. The incentive that Felix has to do any of this felt stupid. It felt like he was just not given enough to be like, oh, you know what? Let's just do this and show you everything. And it was Maeve's baptism. She gets to see all the genocide stuff again. She sees buffalo getting taken around inside glass. She sees deer. She sees people having a card game. It's the second thing that is 100% telling her that she's a robot. But you can tell she's still not all the way there. Even with all of this evidence, it's just really, really tough for her to understand Plus, it's tough for the audience to understand why it's even happening in the first place. At one of the higher-up levels, Maeve sees herself, as well as many other well-known characters, on what appears to be a looping advertisement for the park. And then she also catches a glimpse of herself with what looks to be her host daughter. She sees Clementine Pennyfeather best name, which is like, that's weird. Then she sees herself and she's like, that's weirder. (laughs) Again, this is the third piece of evidence. You're definitely a robot. And I was like, this has to be the one where the one where she sees her own face where it's like, oh, I don't need any more evidence, guys. I get it. We're uh, this is you guys are real mean to me specifically. And we get final confirmation that at this point in time, the park is known as Westworld. In the 1970s film version, the park is Western World. So maybe this blows apart the direct sequel theories, or, you know, if it is a direct sequel to the movie, maybe they just rebranded it. Westworld does flow off the tongue better than Western World. Yeah, perhaps they rebranded it after that awful awfulness 34 years ago, and or 30 years ago, the when everything exploded. It Felix keeps going with with Maeve 
telling her that she's only been the madam of that brothel for a year or so, and that all the dreams that she's having that she saw in the ads were not actually dreams, and they were just previous builds. Your life is a lie, Maeve. Let's uh, tell you in detail about that. As they're having this conversation, Sylvester barges in. He's totally pissed that Felix is working alone with Maeve and that he's put her in a pretty dress. He accuses her of basically being a pervert, (laughs) <laughs> he compares it to a hentai fixation, which I enjoyed. Yeah, that was wonderful. Uh, I mean, he is still the comedy relief character, and he's doing a very good job. Uh, and then she, like, basically attacks him with a scalpel. And he's like, you're not going to hurt me. And she's like, want to bet? Right, she pins him up. She's got the scalpel to his throat, proves that she can wound him if she wants to, and threatens him in order to gain his silence. Yeah, some intense music comes up above this. She says the super obvious line of like, you made a machine that knows everything about humans. Good job, idiots. And now I have a scalpel so I can do... I'm a super smart, super perceptive lady with a sharp object. Come at me, bros. I want to depart for a second to talk about questions or theories about this. It was Elsie who had raised her acuity... And then also, like, put her back into the park really decisively. Is this working into some plan that she has? I mean, probably not. I'm just, it, it's a little suspicious. No, I think Elsie was just projecting upon her in that moment, just like the two brutish techs were projecting upon her when they upped her uh, aggressiveness that didn't work in the first place. I don't think this is a super overall plan by Elsie, or at least I hope not. I, I People are still calling her Discount Ellen Page, by the way, which really, really gets to me. I really like Shannon Wilbert as Elsie. She's kind of my favorite character, and uh, they're being mean to her on the internet. It This storyline is becoming the weirdest one for me, because Maeve is, is an odd character who seems to be... Everything is going her way while Dolores is just getting shafted over and over again. I don't I don't know. This is the one story, which is why I said when we saw the baptism scene, which is what I thought that was. I mean, it is Maeve being reborn. When I saw that scene, I didn't know if everyone was going to like it or not. Because it feels like it's a little spoon-fed. But at the same time, there was a Radiohead song. She got to see that her entire existence is a lie again and in a more in a fashion where Felix was like, here's all this stuff. This is basically the back the back room of Disney World tour. And you're an animatronic and little uh, it's a small world after all, learning that you've been singing the same song over and over again for years. You know, it's this was the point where I was like, I don't know if everyone's going to like this or not, because I don't know if I like this or not. And my conclusion was that was okay. I liked that part. I I didn't love that part. I liked it. Teresa ends a video call with a Chinese board member, assuring them that she has everything under control. Lee, who has been absent for a few episodes, is relaxing on the roof lounge area when Teresa approaches him with concerns about Ford. She wants his help in reining in this new narrative. And she's not taking no for an answer this time. (laughs) She's basically there to be like, yeah, I don't care that you don't like what your job is right now. You're going to sober up and start writing some stuff. Ford has been implementing this new thing that has ruined like 50 quests of mine and yours, by the way. And your job is to fix them. 
So, shape up, idiot. At first, he refuses. He claims to be completely heartbroken over the dismantling of his planned narratives. But she entices him by commenting that the board will be needing a new replacement when she ousts Ford. Yeah, and his response is to just be like, whatever, I'm going to get way more drunk. And I don't want to. You know, Lee is basically having, he's just a child, having a temper tantrum. And and Teresa's like, I don't, I'm your mom, and I don't care. One subtle thing that's going on here is a schism is developing between the management of Westworld. And clearly, Teresa understands that Bernard will be on Ford's side, and so she's cut him out, and now she is taking control of Lee as one of her the key players on her faction. Yeah, she is going for the power move. She has just been intimidated. She might not think she was, but she was just intimidated by Dr. Robert Ford. She does not like to feel meek. She just, she's a woman who has risen through the ranks because she works hard and she's a smart lady. Or she's a robot, who even knows. But, she, you know, she doesn't like getting punked like that. And now she's coming back hard with some power moves to see what's what. The Man in Black and Teddy reach the border. It's Man in Black and Teddy Adventure Time. Yeah, they're they're the heroes of this episode, kind of. They attempt to cross disguised as soldiers. They come across several soldiers who have been horribly mutilated, and Teddy identifies this as the handiwork of Wyatt. Yeah, they walk into a kill box, which, uh, if you don't know what that term means, it's just a a place where... There's a bunch of people with guns, and if you kill all of them, everything will be fine. And if you leave one of them alive, you will die. So they walk into this kill box full of soldiers, trying to find Wyatt. Uh, Teddy Flood is trying to prove his worth to the man in black, while Teddy Flood is not thinking about that at all. All he's thinking about is getting to Dolores. And even though they're in uniforms, Teddy Flood still has James Marsden's face. So he is recognized immediately, because he still has his own, you know, face. Hey, I know you. You played Cyclops. Yeah, you can shoot lasers out of your eyes, but we don't even care. Now you're in the West, and and you're James Marsden. Nice jawline, idiot. Two hosts recognize Teddy and try to arrest him for crimes he supposedly committed with Wyatt, which breaks into a gunfight. Teddy and the Man in Black versus several armed soldiers. And they do pretty well for a while because, you know, the man in black can't die. <laughs> so he's just shooting people until they're like, let's stop shooting the man in black slash Teddy, the thing that we were doing before, and just tie them up for whatever reason. Back at the rooftop lounge, Lee is enticed when he sees a beautiful girl at the bar and he tries to flirt with her. They discuss their favorite narratives. Lee talks shit about Ford a little bit. Name drops Delos as the company which owns the park, so put that to bed. Yep. The girl is played by Tessa Thompson from Creed, if you've seen that movie, it's pretty good. It's great. He tries to buy her a drink, but the bartender's like, no, I'm sorry, Teresa asked me to cut you off. Mommy said no. Which causes Lee to fly into a rage. Tessa Thompson leaves him there, and he snatches a bottle off the the, the bar, he's like, fuck this park. 
Yeah, Tessa Thompson is playing a character named Charlotte Hale. Great names in this series. Just amazing names. Charlotte Hale. She's asking him a lot of pointed questions. He's telling her a lot of details he shouldn't be telling anybody. And then she's just like, you're afraid you'll lose control. Because Lee doesn't have a favorite ride. He just makes them. And he's just like, what? You? What? And (laughs) immediately, I thought to myself, I think Lee Sizemore is getting honeypotted. Which I'll talk more about later. Because he totally was. Bernard and Elsie are getting close to finding out who's spying on the park. And Elsie figures that Teresa will be fired for this security breach and that she, for finding all this out, will be next in line for Teresa's job. Yeah, Elsie and Bernard are talking a little thing called sabotage. My immediate thought was like, oh, Elsie, don't fuck with Teresa. It's not going to end well for you. Yeah, no, and she's getting close. She's getting close to who smuggled the data. Bernard is like, that's so great, Elsie. Also, not great, because i really just rather this not be real. So if you could just stop talking to me about it, that'd be just the best. And then Bernard defends Teresa because she was his... She's his ex-girlfriend now. Get over it, dude. In the map room, Bernard questions a tech about the sector where the stray transmitted his data. She points to a forest area that is meant to be completely devoid of hosts or employees. And that is the area which Bernard recognizes as the one where the unregistered hosts are currently residing. Again, the acting of these no-name techs, not spectacular. It's bad. It's just bad. Let's move on. (laughs) Bernard ventures out to that area of the park. There he finds a small house inhabited by the little British boy who's been popping up all over the park and his family. Bernard asks if the father is Arnold, which causes that man to fly into a rage and attack Bernard who isn't able to command him to stop. Luckily, as he's being forced up against a wall, Ford, kind of appearing out of nowhere, stops that man with voice commands. Daddy comes to save him. When Bernard asks, who is Arnold, or are you Arnold? I thought to myself, says everyone. Like, the entire audience was like, hey, is that Arnold? And then Bernard was like, are you Arnold? <laughs> like Just like if the audience was there to ask him. Um, and then he said no. I was like, oh, thank God. That'd be really weird. And... Uh, you know, when we, when Bernard first goes up there, the elevator's leaving, asked to say, like, he's the only one here, and then the ominous music comes, so something bad is av- obviously going to happen. The guy who is in the cabin just attacks Bernard, Bernard can't tell him to stop, and then, yeah, Ford is there out of no- does he just- did he teleport there? What- I, I don't get it. I also wondered about that. It does- can he exist in the minds of hosts, and so Bernard's a host, and so he can just see Ford when he projects himself into Bernard's mind? Yeah, it's supposed to be vague and a little stupid, I feel. And that is how it felt. It's like, he can't... He's an old man. He walks slowly. He had to have known where Bernard was going this whole time to have made this timing work. Like, okay, I don't know. Ford explains that these are the oldest hosts left in the park... He opens up the little boy robot's face and it looks much more like the movie version of the hosts when you see behind their face. 
he goes on to explain that these hosts were made by Arnold as a gift to Ford, and they were made in in the likeness of Ford's family when he was young. Except for not... It wasn't extremely accurate. The first model that Arnold made, Ford's father wasn't an alcoholic, and over time, Ford made him an alcoholic because that was the truth. Like Ford is projecting onto these... Uh, hosts that Arnold made for him so hard he was like my dad drank a bunch so we got to make him do that <laughs> uh which is like why I I mean I get it but a little bit but that's kind of messed up Dr. Robert Ford and you know Bernard is troubled by all of this Ford is stroking his like his brother's hair the the little version of his brother the robot Ford is like stroking his hair and Bernard's like this is really weird disconcerting you might say i would say that uh unsettling is this year's slash not years (laughs) this episode's word of the day we're all very unsettled thanks lauren bernard expresses his trepidation very straightforward with dr robert ford and ford argues that it's just a harmless indulgence of his and he asks if Bernard would feel the same way if these hosts were made in the likeness of his son, his dead son. He just, he feels, I feel like he brings that up every time he's wrong. It's his trump card. It's the thing that makes Bernard stop asking questions. And Dr. Robert Ford is definitely wrong in this moment. What he's doing is not, you know, it's it's not helping anybody except for himself. And then every time Bernard is about to have a good point and he's actually concerned for a real reason, Dr. Robert Ford's like, yeah, but your kid's dead. So like, God, dude, that's savage, man. Excuse me, Dr. Robert Ford. I was wondering if maybe it's not time for me to to get a raise this year. (laughs) What about your dead son? (laughs) Dead son wouldn't want a raise, would he? I I guess not. (laughs) In the map room, Lee is pissing all over the holographic map. No dong, though. Yeah, he gets paid too much for that. Yeah, no, that Lee Sizemore is uh, is upper echelon. Can't be hanging dong. Unimpressed, Teresa introduces him to Charlotte Hale, Tessa Thompson from earlier, and explains that she is the board of directors representative to the park. Right, so we've been thinking, like, the man in black is the representative. We didn't, like, we didn't think that the answer was character you haven't met yet, <laughs> um, which is what it was, apparently. Charlotte Hale was honeypotting Lee Sizemore so hard. She definitely knew who he was when she was asking him questions at the pool while he was drunk, and he told her all of those things. Getting honeypotted is being manipulated into doing or saying something or doing something because the other person is uh, just trying to sexually arouse you into doing it, which is exactly what Charlotte Hale was doing. And uh, Lee Sizemore is a little embarrassed because, you know, he was just pissing on something that Ashley Stubbs was like, dude, stop pissing on my map. Again, I think this is the formation of Teresa's faction. She's got Charlotte now from the board of directors. She's got Lee on board. Like, clearly she could have fired Lee in this moment, but she's chosen not to. And this is going to be her side of the schism opposite what I think will be Ford, Bernard, and Elsie on the other side. 
and probably I think Stubbs is going to side with Teresa. The two factions are the people who care for and have respect for robots and then the business people on the other side. Yeah, plus Stubbs who believes that eventually they'll all kill us, which, you know, he's probably not wrong. And I, I, I it feels like Dr. Robert Ford is level 1,000 and Teresa's like level 200 and she's like, I need way more people in my party to take down this boss. I've got to say, if these are our two fighting parties, I'm on Team Teresa, because I think that's the team that won't lead to the robot annihilation of humans. The apocalypse? (laughs) The soldiers have captured and tied up the man in black and Teddy. They're bound to an overturned wagon. They're about to brand Teddy with the symbol of the maze. Teddy flashes back to participating in a slaughter of innocent people with Wyatt. Which is like, what? come on, Teddy, I thought you were a good guy. Yeah, but I think, you know, he's been talking since episode one about his vague transgressions in the past that he couldn't tell Dolores about. They're his secret. And we found out that those weren't even real. Like, Dr. Robert Ford didn't even give him what that backstory was until like two or three episodes ago. Uh, But now... This is kind of fitting into his new, very, very complicated storyline, where Teddy Flood is a B.A. now, and his love for Dolores will make him do or say anything. And then Teddy Flood gets up on that machine gun, mother, and just goes from McCree to Bastion in that moment, and just takes... He literally says, before he gets up there, and the Men in Black is like, we gotta get out of here. And Teddy Flood's like, no, they'll follow us. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> He wipes out all the soldiers mercilessly. Even the man in black is a little taken aback. I loved this scene. While everybody was kind of jumping on the Maeve's baptism uh, as their favorite scene of the night, this might have been mine because the man in black just had a meeting with Dr. Robert Ford where they were basically punking each other. The man in black saying, my takeaway line from that scene last year... uh, week was when the man in black was like if i wanted to talk to the guy who made this place i would have to go back 30 years because it ain't you mofo i mean we just learned in the last scene that 42 out of the 87 original hosts almost half of the original hosts were made by one person arnold so i mean it, it stands to reason that he's the big the big d on campus and dr robert ford has an inferiority complex which the man in black kind of knows, and the man in black knows Arthur, and he knows the whole story, which we learned last episode, too, that Logan, from Logan and, and William, that not everybody know who these people are. So, during the Battle of the Titans last episode, when the man in black and Dr. Robert Ford are uh, exchanging blows and punking each other, the man in black really, I think, gets the the upper hand on Dr. Robert Ford, which doesn't happen very often to Dr. Robert Ford, by the way, because he's God. But, you know, the Man in Black is basically God outside of the park. <laughs> so, and he's now trying to become God both inside and outside of the park. So, like, the Dr. Robert Ford kind of goes back to the lab and feels like, okay, I see. You, you're not surprised anymore, Man in Black, huh? Well, 
how about this? I'm going to make Teddy Flood go absolutely insane the next day. I feel like he's there, by the way, because he has a degenerative disease. They they said that all like most diseases were totally eradicated. But I feel like the man in black is on a has a death wish, which only comes when you're going to die for some weird reason. Or, you know, you just have such a megalomaniac, egomaniacal complex that death is the only light. (laughs) But. This is the first time in a long, long time, because the Man in Black has done all of these quests before, that he was truly surprised. And he smiles, because the Man in Black actually got something that was new in a park where he's been many, many times. And I'm sorry, that was like four minutes, but that was, that was like, uh, it was my favorite part. Elsie calls Bernard, telling him that she's analyzed the data that he obtained from the sub-basements and discovered that the stray was transmitting information to Delos. Also, she's located a second transmitter somewhere in the park, and she's currently en route to an abandoned theater in the park to find it. I'm sure nothing bad will happen. Back in the park, Ford wants to play catch with little Robo-Ford and their dog, but when they find the dog, it's had its head smashed in. The dog's a greyhound, by the way, so the greyhound in the story from last week's episode was a real greyhound who uh, actually exists both existed both in real life and now in the park, and who also has a smashed-in head. And we're like, you know, why? In the dark abandoned theater, Elsie searches for the transmitter. After looking for a bit, she eventually finds a terminal hidden underneath the floorboards, and she attempts to access its previous users. Yeah, she's basically in a horror video game, waiting for something to pop out at her. We see, like, doll heads on the walls, which is just, if you want to make a scene, if you're dressing a scene as, like, an art director, and the director's like, listen to me, I want it to be real creepy in there. The number one thing you do is put doll heads on the wall. And they did it. Teresa is smoking in her room when Bernard comes knocking. He's come to warn her about the security breach and about Ford, but before he can get too deep into it, he gets a call from Elsie. He he declines the first call, which I was like, ugh, this is how she dies. And then he finally picks up the second one, which, thank God, because she had some useful information. She tells him basically Teresa is the source of all the security breaches and the leaks to Delos. The call is coming from inside the house. This scene was so critical because Bernard was about to jump ship and join Team Teresa. Yeah, he was joining up with his ex-girlfriend, which is like, why? And then Elsie blows that whole thing up with some real, with some laying down some facts. Down in the labs, Felix, Sylvester, and Maeve are discussing her personality traits. It's all very Dungeons and Dragons. You've got all these different stats and there's numbers in them and apparently 18 is high and 5 is low (laughs) yeah there's like a 20 point spectrum that we get to see a really cool picture of that is their entire the robot's entire uh disposition and it has stuff like cruelty and self-preservation and patience and it's on a it looks like a a big scatter chart and it's just it was so so neat but yeah, Maeve is trying to learn everything. I still don't understand the incentive to do all of this. Why not just turn her off? I don't get it. And But the um, 
redhead who is uh sylvester right sylvester had a good line here which is like she was like i want to be smarter but not uh you want to make me smart but not too smart you know and i like to make some changes and to make her smarter basically and he says you run a whorehouse not an orbital launch facility but she is blackmailing them how but okay well, they're in pretty deep at this point. Definitely they could get fired for the things that they've done. Well, not Sylvester. Sylvester's completely under duress. Felix should be fired. Yeah, he should. But also, like, how are, how would Maeve tell anybody if you just turn her off? If you just, you still try to wipe her. Try yeah, wiping th- her again. <laughs> there are so many outs. Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Hey, Stubbs, can you come here? Like... Yeah, just just be with Maeve while she's going insane so everybody knows. Like, it feels like how this didn't happen stupider is tough to understand. But they're given no choice and they basically have to agree is, is, is the end of that scene. Yeah, okay, whatever. Elsie tells Bernard that Teresa has been guiding the actions of hosts through the old bicameral programming. Yeah, which basically means the bicameral stuff is like... You know those voices that all the robots are hearing in their heads? That is a a system, an old system, whereas uh, that Arnold was using. To basically, it's a microphone where Arnold was just talking into it, and the first iteration of hosts believed that Arnold's voice or whoever was talking to the microphone was God. And that system is old but still exists and is now being used by quote-unquote Arnold who is telling all of these robots to do stuff. But, you know, like, he's dead. How's that happening? (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Right. Teresa is using this bicameral programming as a means of sabotage. Exactly. Also, Arnold is using the same programming to modify the host's behaviors in subtle ways, which Bernard then says, that's impossible. Yeah, but it's not, Bernard. It's happening. Come to the light, dude. This is all real, and it's real, and it's happening. So, Teresa's using it. I think she's using it as leverage on Dr. Robert Ford. She's looking for everything she can have on Team Teresa, because she knows the, the... It's all stacked against her. So, she needs some leverage, and this might be that thing that she needs. Except for the fact that she doesn't know. A power user is above her also using it and doing a better job. I'm on Team Teresa, though. I'm with her. I hope for the apocalypse. I'm with whoever brings the apocalypse on. Basically, I'm on Team Dolores and William, you know, based on which timeline they're on, which is a whole thing we haven't even gotten into yet. And I'm I'm on Team Apocalypse. Go, robots! In the lab, Bernard is interviewing Robo-Robert, and... It's revealed that little boy Robot Ford killed the dog. And lied to him about it. Because he was instructed to by Arnold's voice in his head. The bicameral mind. And he has the ability to lie. Like Dolores in Maeve. In the theater, Elsie is attacked from behind by an unseen figure. Uh, Didn't see that one coming. Wait, everyone did. I want to say it's a false scare, and the next episode it's going to be like Stubbs. It's like, what are you doing here? Come out with me. Like, It's a, the HBO rule. If you don't see them die, they ain't dead. I still don't believe that one character from that Game of Thrones show isn't dead. Um, that I won't say, because I'm not a monster. 
pretty sure the showrunner said that he is dead. He, I'm totally glad that you know exactly who I'm talking about. And I actually do believe that that character that we're now vaguely talking about on a podcast, not about Game of Thrones, is truly... Uh, I'm not going to keep going. I do believe he's dead. Don't worry. Okay, okay. <laughs> Back in the labs, Maeve says that she wants her loyalty and pain to be ratcheted down. <laughs> Sylvester discovers that someone else has already been changing her stats and gets cold feet. Because he had incentive to do it before. Okay. Yeah, the power user is doing a bunch of stuff. He's talking, and he's making changes. I mean, and, you know, is it the power user, or did it just happen because violet delights have violent ends? You know what I mean? Like, did that verbal virus change her stuff by itself? Did it, I assume it wasn't you know, Arnold is alive and changing things. What I assume is Arnold's not alive, but he's ch- he set all of this up to happen eventually. So Violet Delights Have Violent Ends is the trigger that goes from uh, Peter Abernathy 1 to Dolores to Maeve. Maeve is, has this virus and all of this stuff changed. And it's not what the Felix and Sylvester think it is, which is a power user with someone with way more, uh, way more gravitas than us changed this. We're not going to do it because we had incentive to do it before. It's still, etc. You know, I still think, though, that Arnold's not alive and doing this. I just think it's, you know, this is what he wrote to have happen. And now it's happening. Maeve threatens him again and demands that her intellect be boosted to max capacity. Which seemingly brings her to orgasm. (laughs) Yeah, Maeve knows Kung Fu. You had a very Matrix moment there. And then she basically could just have been like, look at me, I'm I'm the dungeon master now. You could also tell, like, this is Thandie Newton's Who Plays Maeve. This is her Emmy episode. Like, they have to pick episodes to, to put in for the Emmy Awards. And when they were are going to put in for Best Actress in a whatever series for Thandie Newton, it's going to be this episode probably because she has a monologue and she's in it a bunch and she has a baptism uh, and she knows Kung Fu and she's Dungeon Master now. So this is a big, big Maeve episode. The, the, the amount of time that Dolores would have usually taken up in an episode was Maeve this time. And it was a nice change of pace. I like Dolores more as a character, but Maeve is doing stuff. For sure. You can't you can't deny that. That's the end of episode six. We've got a ton of Twitter theories to get to and then our own personal theories. So let's just jump right into it. For serious. First, I want to thank at Robbie Richardson for sending us some awesome Dolores fan art. Oh, yeah. It was so neat. I like uh, all the fan art for this show is like the best part. It's people making stuff based on other things that people make. That's 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 why I like podcasts too. And at RJ Cool Derbs, at Mr. Cracknell, at Andy Sachs, thanks again for your general tweets of support. We totally appreciate it. You guys are dope. We got a funny tweet just a, a little while ago from Carrie McHugh at K R R M C C. Fave hashtag fave. She's shipping Felix and Maeve. Uh, I did. I forgot about all the shipping. The Tumblr. Uh, version of the internet where uh, people eventually, well, in this case, I guess people and robots eventually end up together. I am not personally shipping Fave. I'm shipping logic and reason as to why any of this is happening. But okay. Well, <laughs> I think Felix ships Fave. I have an opinion on this. Oh, for sure. I think he does too. I think he's in love. Maeve doesn't care about Felix at all. This is 
sorry to spoil anyone who hasn't seen it, but this is Ex Machina playing out in Westworld. Maeve will betray and murder Felix as soon as it becomes necessary. Do you think that is the same exact thing, though, for Dolores and William? Do you think Dolores has more or less feelings for William than Maeve does for Felix? (sighs) It's hard to say. You want to believe that Dolores loves him a little bit. That Dolores is feeling love as she becomes more sentient and likes the feeling and is chasing it. But I still believe Maeve and her are on the same place or same plane where in the end they will choose themselves and use these human beings who are falling in love with them, manipulate them, and use them to their advantage. Well, to the point that you just made earlier this week, Carrie McHugh, the same same Twitter, had sent us, Maeve is actually ahead of Dolores, not behind. Maeve has no voice in her head. She's the new model. She went on to say... To take it one step further, Ford created Maeve to take down Arnold's Dolores. Hashtag Team Maeve. Hmm. Maybe. I like the new model thing, too. I'm not sure that Maeve is ahead of Dolores. I still think Dolores is the the one, the, the, close, the closest thing to sentience that you can have. Because, you know, Maeve's not looking for... Maeve is looking outwards. That's the difference between Maeve and Dolores. Dolores is looking inwards. Who am I? Maeve is looking outwards. What is this? And I think that might be just the difference between the new and old model. But I still think Dolores is a tiny bit, and by a tiny bit, like a day ahead of Maeve. They're just doing different things with it. Also, Dolores is patient zero. She's the one who spread this violent delights have violent ends to Maeve. I would say Peter Abernathy is patient zero, but yeah, I I, I, I agree with you. At Johnny DeCali said, I felt that Logan's smirk while getting beat was seeing William grow wings and embrace the true nature of Westworld, which is evil. Yeah, I think that was pretty straightforward. In the previous episode of that, Logan was like, I can't wait to see what this world makes you. And then William's like, what do you mean? And then Logan's like, the real you, man. It will bring out the real version of you. Yeah, and Logan had a, a dual feeling in that moment of pride in his pseudo friend, who, basically not real friend, who he, you know, just told in that before that moment that he hired to just be there to be to stomp on. He was a little proud of him. Also mad that he was getting beaten up and not saved. I interpreted it more as like, oh, you're going to get it. I'm going to come and kill your favorite host, Dolores, because you're doing this to me. Like, you know, even if it's not malicious, this is a game to Logan. So he's like, oh, I'm going to tag you back. I'm going to get you for this. William. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he's Logan is not going to stop being an asshole. That's his thing. So he's going to do that. But also, I think he's a little... He's a little prideful, but that's not going to change that he's, you know, going to get William back for this. He still has a power complex. Lauren at Very Lovely LJ said, William is the man in black. The first critical failure happened before William and Logan got there. I think that, well, yeah, that's true. They said, they said out loud that it happened uh, before they got there because they also had that conversation where, like, they don't know who Dr. Robert Ford is or, or probably, or they and they don't know who Arnold is. But this feeds right into my, what I think, or my first stab at the end of this show. Will you, will you allow me in this moment, James? Go ahead. God, you're so nice. Okay, so... Ford was stroking his his brother's head in his weird family cabin that Bernard was like, this is odd and shouldn't be happening. But he was stroking his brother's head. So I guess 
my the foundation for this theory, which by the way, there are pay- probably seven more seasons of this show if HBO gets off the pot and actually renews it, which they haven't yet, which is insane. It keeps doing well against The Walking Dead, which is having a, a an actual season where things are happening now. So, either way, so this is my end of episode or not end of episode, end of like series prediction. But it also could be if with the pace of what this show is, the end of season one and then season eight could be way different. Either way, I think Arnold is either Ford's brother or in in Ford's family in some way or just a guy that Ford knew. And I don't know which version of this it is, but if he is his brother, it would be interesting because he was stroking his little brother's head while in that little that little hut, that little log cabin. Dolores was perhaps Arnold's daughter. Ford had to do with her death for sure. And then Arnold created Robo Dolores to end the park and kind of get back at Ford for having something to do with Arnold's daughter's death. William, if this is two timelines, William saves the park, ends up becoming the man in black. Ford makes Bernard to act as the new Arnold to keep an eye on Dolores because he knows Dolores has some sinister stuff because he knew he knew Arnold wanted to get back with him and he knew Arnold wasn't done with his feud. Ford knows Dolores is here to, you know, really end him. So he created Bernard and Teddy to keep her in check, you know, 2v1. And uh, he knows what Bernard is doing because he is telling Bernard, the host, to put Dolores through the ultimate Turing test, which is the maze, to see if Arnold really did it, if Arnold actually created AI. And that might all be off, but that's my guess. That's very interesting. I hadn't really considered that. I have a different theory myself, but what you said relates to another tweet we got from at Lorraine Chick. She writes, Dolores is Arnold's creation of a daughter he lost, just as you said. Mm-hmm. And disagreeing Ford killed Arnold when he brought her to quote unquote life. Yeah, right. I mean, it it all stems with the are there two timelines, which is still vague. I I think if anyone says like definitively there aren't two timelines, um, I think they're wrong. It's it's purposely vague. They want you to keep guessing on the two timelines thing, obviously. And that was funny because we had another Twitter user at. ADSM more seven seven. Adam Morton was like, "Wait, is this a spoiler or is this a guess?" Yeah, yeah. We had another uh, Twitter follower of ours send in something like to the effect of, "This is two timelines," and it was so plausible that someone else was like, "Wait, did you just spoil it for me?" And we had to be like, "No, no, no. Don't worry about it." Uh, Lorraine and I were just we're just talking ideas. But we should say this is not a spoiler safe zone. We're a recap podcast. And our Twitter is all about theories, and the theories are going to relate to things that happened on screen. So if you're not caught up, maybe avoid our Twitter stream until false, you're caught up. False, false, if Even if you're not caught up, always be on my, our Twitter, pl- please. Right, also, I, spoilers I beware. Yeah, I don't really, I don't, I don't actually, I did one tweet last night that was like, Super Mave is here, and Radiohead is really popular on this show, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. Like, uh, it will be that level of, like, I'm going to tell you there's Super Mave. You're not going to know why, but I will let you know that she has become super. At Josh Lorian says, Think of the burned-out church in earlier episodes. Nitro Corpse perhaps causes it? For yeah. looks longingly at Charred Remains. Yeah, and you get the feeling that Lars kind of wants to blow up that casket slim with nitro in it, and then everything explodes. That's sure. And the the man the man in black stopped it from happening. 
aka perhaps William. Uh, on the equals men in black train, I'm uh mine is if I had to rank the people who I believed were the men in black, if anyone is, I it is number one William and number two is nobody because I don't think anybody else could be. Or I don't want anyone else to be. I don't want Logan to be William. That'd be weird. Maybe I'm a dummy, but I I really don't think this for that anyone is anyone. <laughs> yeah, right. For that Nitro blows up the church theory to be true, it would have to mean that for sure there's two timelines, and I you know You're I not don't sold. Think there's two timelines. Until we see any kind of evidence for it. Honestly, I really think in one of the next four episodes, William's going to walk by the men in black and be like, hey, I like your hat. And then we can all just relax on this two timeline thing. At this point, I I was in the past, didn't want the two timelines. You're on the side of there's only there's one and you're content with that. I am now on the side of I sort of hope there's two because I want William to be the man in black. I like that story. So I want it to be true. At Vince Penick sent in a couple tweets for uh, for a good theory. He said, what if Logan is a therapist with the Man in Black's foundation to help William find purpose in his life, Shutter Island style? If the real world is quote unquote perfect, would that make sense for finding one's purpose that would become a big issue? So the Men in Black sends up a Make-A-Wish type foundation that sends people to Westworld to help to- those who are struggling with finding their purpose. To grow a backbone in a spineless society. Doesn't really work out if there are two timelines, but couldn't help but wonder when Logan smiled as Dolores and William left him behind. I don't know about the therapist thing. I I do think Logan is William's boss. Um, But I really like how this tweet brings up the fact of what is society outside? I feel like we talked about it before where uh, the the version of society in Wally, where everyone's fat and in, in wheelchairs and every all, all their meals are liquid. Like that is where society is getting to, except for the fact that there's like almost no diseases too. Um, and that is what's outside. It, it stands to reason that everyone outside is weaker than they used to be because technology has gotten better. And as technology gets better, there's a direct correlation with uh, just a lack of courage and weakness. And that's why Dr. Robert Ford and people like Dr. Robert Ford and the man in black rise above everyone else because they they're go getters. And um, you know, what does Westworld bring not to the world we live in, but to that world is I think a really cool question. Dean Wallman at D wall M says, so Logan, he's a host. I don't think May- so. Maybe, I, Dean. I, maybe. You're going to have to show us your work. Show us your math on this. <laughs> I'm not buying it. But, you know, if, if he was, that would be a surprise, for sure. And this show is, you know, supposed to, it's very purposely supposed to surprise you. So we'll see who it happens. I just feel like William and Logan have these rich backstories outside the park. And if they are robots... Uh, uh, that's it, that's it would ruin it. <laughs> wheels within wheels kind of like oh so we'll program these robots to think that they're humans attending the robot park so they can meet up with the robot who's starting to think that she's really a robot yeah i'll say it right now there are a few characters who if they end up being robots i'll just want to stop watching the show because i think it will be stupid like at this point bernard could be a robot and i would be fine with it Teresa could be a robot i would be fine with it although i don't think she is and which let's come back to this moment if i'm proven wrong but if william or logan are proven to be a robot i just don't i don't know i don't like that i don't like it at all josh fraught at jrf sent us a 
a nice long message of what he thinks is the Westworld timeline simplified, which I will now read out for all y'all. Yeah. 34 years ago, something mysterious happens to Arnold, which puts Westworld in poor financial shape. Arnold's death is not the incident from 30 years ago. 30 years ago, all scenes with William and Logan who are looking to partner with Westworld because of its financial need that Westworld hasn't recovered from after Arnold's demise. This is the system failure incident from 30 years ago, likely sparked by a bug that Arnold purposely set in motion a few years ago. Present. All scenes with the man in black, Maeve, Elsie, Stubbs, Dr. Ford, Bernard, etc. The man in black is a wizened and jaded version of William, all grown up, who was involved in the incident 30 years ago with Dolores' first awakening. The company his in-laws own, Delos, partnered with Westworld after the incident which saved it financially. Williams slash The Man in Black has since married Logan's sister and run the family's company after Logan pushed him into becoming an absolute boss. Although, if The Man in Black is William, you would have to assume that if anybody got married, or if he did get married, that uh, she is probably dead because the Man in Black has a death wish in his West and is on his last rest- Westworld. Yeah, I really liked this. Uh, it kind of fed into my what the end of this story might be, and or what the end of the season might be. Who knows how far the story will go? But yeah, I really like this. If the if there are two timelines, that is the version that I think I could stomach. I don't think there's two timelines. I guess we'll find out. There's no way to know for sure. I hope there isn't. I'm I'm kind of where you were previously, where I'm annoyed by the prospect of two timelines, and we don't see any concrete evidence of it. And I'm I, I'm I'm maybe gonna go back and watch these first six episodes because we've got evidence of Stubbs in real time talking about the man in black. If we can just connect something in the William Logan timeline to something that happened on the administrative side of it, we could put all these timeline questions to bed. Oh, how the turntables. My theory, we've heard your theory in regards to Ford and Arnold. Mm -hmm. Mine is, they started the park together as partners. Arnold wanted to perfect AI and have a nice time with his robo-buddies. Ford had a different philosophy. He wanted to make a subservient race of robots that he could be the god of. Slaves. When Arnold did achieve perfect AI, he then realized that the park was a cruel institution and that robots are people and this isn't right to do, jeopardizing ford's god status and fortune and so ford killed arnold or orchestrated his death in some way but knowing it was coming ford programmed his persona into the subconscious of the hosts to be activated later on when one of them woke to the truth of the real situation which happened to peter abernathy and then he would spread through a verbal cue, these violent delights have violent ends, to other robots, which could ultimately lead to the destruction of the unjust park system and the downfall of Robert Ford and Arnold has the last laugh. Yeah, the ghost of Ro- uh, the ghost of Arnold wins. And I think it will be interesting in that version of your three, which I really enjoy. I think there will be a flashback to who dropped that picture on the Abernathy farm. You know what I'm talking about? 
that picture that kind of that started all of this the lady in Times Square that Peter Abernathy looked at and was like I, I'm, I'm asking questions you're not supposed to ask and getting and getting answers you're not supposed to know I bet there will be a flashback in like season or like season one episode nine or ten of Teresa Cullen like going to the farm and putting that picture there I mean like it all starts from this I don't know if it will be Teresa or not but I hopefully it will be somebody in a flashback that would be neat so I can't believe we're already more than halfway done with season one. I know it's co- like it's coming up so quickly that we don't even I, I had to start thinking about like what we're going to do when we don't have this show or Game of Thrones. Life is so dark and full of sadness. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy uh, the James and Ryan side of this show. Maybe a, a fraction as much as you enjoy the Westworld part of it. Maybe we'll throw something together during the off season for you guys to keep up with us. Yeah, I'm going to do an entire Let's Play with Red Dead Redemption because I've never played it. And I want you guys to hear me play play it. And you guys, I, I bet you'll like it or you'll hate it. Either one. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have some more audio for you, maybe relating to Westworld, maybe something else. Who knows? Gosh, it's just a, a, a bundle of options for you as an audience. Aren't you excited? You should be. Okay, cool. Thanks again to everybody who listened. If you're just listening, that's awesome. We totally appreciate it. Praise. If you want to go the extra mile, follow us on Twitter, follow us on SoundCloud, leave us a nice review on iTunes. That helps other people find us. Drop us an email, thewestworldpodcast at gmail.com. I read them all, all, all one of them. It was a pretty good one. And come talk to me on Twitter. I like doing the tweets. Join us next week when we recap episode seven of Westworld entitled Trompe Lole, also directed by Fred Toy. Yeah, it's French for deceive the eye and or optical illusion. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast.